This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, coming at you guys live. Game day, final preseason games, the Great Lakes Cup on the line. A lot of exciting things happening. Plenty to discuss. I think what we're going to start with, though, is I'm going to give you guys my prediction for the 53-man roster. Then we're going to jump over with Jeff Risden to preview the Detroit Lions, see where they're at. But a lot of stuff going on. Big time in the year. Cuts have to take place. Saturday by 4 p.m., so the Browns are going to try to learn everything they can about the back half of the roster coming up here tonight. Should be interesting. Um, I think you're probably not going to see any of the starters. It's going to be a lot of second guys. You're going to see Todd Monk and call the plays. And, uh, you know, we're not going to learn a ton necessarily, but we are going to see some guys get a shot who are going to be back half of the roster players. So let's not waste any time. Let's jump into my prediction for what the 53 man roster will uh, eventually look like here. So. Let's do quarterbacks first. Uh, obviously, Baker Mayfield, Drew Stanton, and Garrett Gilbert are the three guys. I think that they will keep three quarterbacks. I think that they will potentially put uh, Mr. Mister Blau there on, on the practice squad, but I think they're going to keep these three, and then they're going to probably dress two quarterbacks. I think Drew Stanton will, at least it's trending in that direction, that he will uh, you know, uh, be the backup but I think you dress Garrett Gilbert and have Drew Stanton in street clothes because I think Garrett Gilbert's been the better player throughout camp and the preseason. But I understand wanting that, uh, you know, wanting that veteran backup. So uh, Garrett Gilbert will probably be the odd guy out on game days. We will see how that shakes out. The three running backs right now are pretty obvious: Nick Chubb, Dontrell Hilliard, and Dearness Johnson. I don't, I uh, don't foresee them doing anything else crazy with that position. I think they like those three guys and they're just going to play the waiting game until, until week nine when. Um, you know, Kareem Hunt comes back. Wide receivers, I think they do keep six. I think they keep Odell Beckham. I think they keep Jarvis, obviously. I think they keep Richard Higgins. I think they keep Willies, Ratley. And then that leaves whether they want to carry a sixth wide receiver or not. And I think there's something going on with Braxton Miller. I, just a hunch that they end up keeping him around for the first four weeks until uh, Antonio Callaway gets back. I think that there's a little bit of interest there. I think they... Signed him with the intent of using him. They signed him after the Callaway suspension was announced. So I would not be surprised to see them keep him. I think they will. Tight end, I think you're going to see Njoko and Harris as your first two. The third one becomes interesting because they signed Rico Gathers. They obviously have Farrell Brown, who they've used a lot. And then uh, I think you will probably see 
Seth the Valve make the roster. He's going to be my third guy who I keep. I think Seth the Valve is going to do that hybrid. I wrote about it a while back. I think he's going to do that hybrid role. I think he's going to definitely be that guy who can play in the backfield as the fullback and then play in the wing slot area as well. I think he's going to add some value. And I understand the complaints about the injuries. It's understandable, but he seems healthy. I think he seems ready to go. So I think he is going to be uh, the third tight end that they keep who can play that hybrid role. Offensive line, I think your your five known entities right now, which are Greg Robinson, Batonio, Treader, Cush, and Hubbard, is your starting five. Then things get interesting. I think the Browns end up keeping. I think the Browns end up keeping eight of these guys. I think they're going to keep uh, Witzman as, as one of the backups here as an interior backup. Kendall Lamb will be the swing tackle, in my opinion. Um, who can play either left or right tackle on a pinch. And then I do think they keep Drew Forbes around. Uh, I think they keep Drew Forbes around as well. And I think those are the eight linemen that they keep on the roster. And uh, Forbes obviously having the most potential of this backup group. But, you know, Austin Corbett's the X factor. It doesn't seem like he's really worth a ton. But, uh, you know, he could he could certainly, um, you know, be held on to because of a draft position. So we'll see. I think those eight are your guys. Defensive line-wise here, I think Miles, Garrett, uh, Joby, Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon are obvious. Then again, it's interesting. I think Devereaux Lawrence has earned a backup role. I think Anthony Zettel has earned a backup role as your, as your end. To fill out the tackle, I think Trevon Coley has um, earned a roster spot. And then I think they'll keep Chad Thomas around because I think he can play inside or out. I think they like that flexibility, and um, they're going to keep him around there. I think that that's... That's your eight slash slash nine, depending on how you look at the linebacker position. Because linebacker, they're going to keep Jannard Avery, uh, who's going to be that hybrid player. But linebackers, you'll keep, you know, we'll say we'll, they'll keep seven between Kirksey, Schobert, Jannard Avery, Darius Taylor, Sione Taki Taki, Mac Wilson. They're going to keep that number seven. And then, um, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong's another guy they could keep if they don't like somebody like Willie Harvey. As a as a guy who could make the roster and be a big special teams player, so we'll have to see what they do there. But my my guess is they keep Ray Ray around. Secondary, you're looking at ten, probably ten players there. I think they're going to keep Denzel, obviously, uh, Terrence Mitchell, Greedy Williams, as your corners with T.J. Carey and Philip Gaines as your sort of inside guys. Safeties are going to keep Demarius Randall, Morgan Burnett, Eric Murray, Jermaine Whitehead, and then. It gets interesting towards the back half. I do think they're going to keep Sheldrick Redwine due to draft position, special teams value. Um, but that is probably going to round out the 10. I think you include Philip Gaines in there as the 10th tenth guy. I think that's that's the 10 that they keep. So Ward, Mitchell, Williams, Randall, Burnett, Carey, Murray, Whitehead, Redwine, and then Philip Gaines. And then the kicker battle, which I think goes to Austin Seibert. Uh, I think that he wins that role. Um, after, you know, some have reported that's already happened. I don't necessarily believe that, but that has been a report. Britton Colquitt is obviously going to be the punter, and then Charlie Hewlett will be the long snapper. So Seibert wins the kicking battle, which was uh, one of the more one of the more talked about kicking uh, battles in the league because it's going to be important for the Browns to uh, to figure that position out. Uh, it's, it's, it's paramount that the Browns have a relatively reliable kicker and I feel like they've they've had opportunities to sign somebody if they didn't trust one of these guys 
It felt like in Game 3, Austin Seibert turned a corner a little bit there, so we'll just have to see what they decide. Not entirely sure, but before we jump over with Jeff Risden to talk about the preview for Lions-Browns tonight, I want to talk to you guys about your friends in my bookie. It's a brand new season. Players are moving everywhere. We are just, well, we're actually a week away from the opening kickoff of the NFL season, so my bookie's the place you want to bet on everything every weekend. Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash bluewire to sign up this year. That's slash bluewire. My bookie has better bonuses, more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicap super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 dinner. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard, score your share of huge cash prize pool. My bookie has live in game betting on every NFL game. They got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And you fantasy guys out there, I know I just drafted one of my fantasy leagues. You can even bet the over-under on props and how you will make the most out of your fantasy experience by betting how each player will do each week. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, no space. And when you create your account, you can claim that reward again by entering B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Again, that's MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid. All right, let's go over to our guest. All right, welcoming in my man, Jeff Risden. You know Jeff. Jeff covers the Browns, and coincidentally enough, we're going to get him to talk about the Lions this week. He does the uh, editing at the Browns Wire, Lions Wire both, so he's a great resource this week as we head into this Great Lakes battle. And uh, Jeff, how you doing, buddy? Oh, it's good to be with you, Jake. I uh, this is this is sort of my like master's thesis, isn't it? You know, I get the <laughs> two competing sides working here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. This is like the well, it's good because you you don't have to watch multiple games. You can just sort of you, can go, you, know, you know that that is a real game. asset. I it, you you would probably know this because I'm sure you've done it. Trying to pay attention to two games that are going on simultaneously is really really hard. And uh, this time, I just you know I can't like take a break at all because I'm watching both sides, but. It's uh, at least I don't have to flip between channels for once. It's genuinely miserable. I don't think people know that. It's like if you're trying to write on and you're trying to meet deadlines, like to write on two teams, it is it is really hard. First world problems, but it's really hard. So, um, yeah, let's talk. Exactly. We're, we're, we're going to do a little Lions preview here, uh, state of their franchise, sort of where are the – I know there's Patricia year two. There's a lot of elements going on. Stafford needs a bounce back year. Uh, they they've made some additions, Trey Flowers and so on and so forth. Where what are okay? Let me ask you it this way: What are the genuine expectations for the Lions here, year two? Are they are they just trying to find the five hundred mark, or are they, you know, are they pushing for something better? I think a lot of fans will argue that they would like them to be back to the the nine and seven. They were nine and seven in a row under Jim Caldwell before Matt Patricia got here. Jim Caldwell was very popular. It was not a popular decision to fire him. It really wasn't a popular decision to replace him with Matt Patricia. So there's a lot of internal pressure from fans, uh, and and there are certain forces in the, the I'm not one of them by the way, that are pushing that they need to be better than Caldwell because when the when when General Manager Bob Quinn hired Matt Patricia and their their old friends from their Patriots days, he said that nine and seven wasn't good enough. Well, last year they were six and ten. And the only reason they were six and ten was because opposing kickers missed game winners three times too. They they were not good last year. Their their offense was a shambles. 
Um, I'm sure you guys watched this. On, on the very first Monday Night Football last year, they played at the Jets. In the middle of the first half of that game, the New York Jets had figured out the entire cadence system, figured out the playbook, and were calling out the, the offensive plays on defense in week one. So <laughs> they, they made some changes. They brought in Daryl Bevel, the, the former Seahawks and before that Vikings offensive coordinator. He is changing things on the offense, and they are welcome changes. They, uh, they brought in C.J. Anderson as a power back to replace LeGarrette Blunt and his 2.7 yards per carry last year. They uh, got a healthy carry on Johnson back. Ty Johnson, the rookie out of Maryland, looks electric. Uh, he, he has a very similar skill set to, to Duke Johnson, except he's really fast with the ball in his hands as a runner. Um, so if you, if you would picture Duke Johnson as a capable runner running back, not just a, a receiving guy, I, th- I think they're very happy with Ty Johnson in that, that aspect. So they're, they're going to run the ball a lot. They have an offensive line that's conducive for that. Uh, big, big questions on offense. Do they have any receivers at all? And can Matthew Stafford hit them? Stafford had a bad year last year. Uh, he played through a broken back, which does require some context to it. Uh, did not have his best season. Uh, before that, he, he led the NFL in comeback wins and fourth quarter game-winning drives over the prior three years. So he's capable, but the guy that we saw last year was not. And uh, they, need, they need to get him some receiving help, and they brought in Danny Amendola was their big wide receiver acquisition for the offseason. Uh, he's behind Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Those guys on their own and together are a, a decent combination. They're, they're both pretty skilled guys. They're not high-end guys. I, I would say they're both number two receivers um, and, and can work together. They, they both have had good good times. But the fact that they are be the number one and then the three is Amendola and then the number four is... Uh, good question. Um, hopefully Jalen's strong because I'll tell you what, he's better than anybody else that they've got right now by, by a fairly wide margin. Um, their depth at, at receiving is, is almost laughable to be honest with you. It, it does remind me of, of the Kenny Britt, Corey Coleman duo, um, that will make Browns fans recoil in terror. Um, the, the, now Galladay and Joe's are both better than those guys. So I don't get that wrong, but the, the fact that there's just nothing better than that. That, that that's it's scary. That T.J. Hawkinson, a tight end, is going to be really, really good. And and the, the, he was not a popular draft pick at number eight overall. And after watching him this summer, you wonder how in the hell did he last to number eight? Because he looks fantastic. Wow. And they're going to rely heavily on him. And that that the hope is that that will open up the middle of the field some uh, and give Stafford some some throws over the middle of the field. If you if you look at Stafford's spray chart from last year, he didn't use the middle of the field. He didn't go deep at all. Um, which is really weird because what is Matthew Stafford known for? For throwing the ball in a tight windows deep down the field. They didn't yeah. ask him to do that. So the, the, the offensive change is very welcome. Defensively, this the defense is way the hell ahead of the offense. They have a, they are going to be a very difficult defense to play against. They're going to be a difficult defense to to crack. Uh, Matt Patricia is a defensive wizard, schematic mastermind, and and I I don't use that term lightly. He is capable of ruining what you want to do in a number of different ways. He he was really the guy that you know helped Bill Belichick. He learned from Bill Belichick, but he also has his own spin on it. He's not just out there mimicking what New England did and what he did in New England as their defensive coordinator. He's added some wrinkles to it, and they're fun to watch. They really are. They haven't shown it much in the preseason. They they've been fairly vanilla, but there's there's a lot to like about what you see from this defense. They have talent up front. Uh, Damon Snacks Harrison is is a 
for my money, the best defensive tackle that isn't a pass rusher in the NFL. And I think you'd have a hard time finding anybody that would argue with that. He's amazing. Uh, he also, by the way, got 4.5 sacks in eight games in Detroit. So that shows that he does have some pass rush, too. Trey Flowers, like you mentioned, the new addition coming in. He hasn't played yet. Probably won't play this week. But uh, th- their expectations are pretty high that he's going to do some things. In, in Romeo Aquara, Devon Kennard, um, Jared Davis, who got hurt last week. And that, that's a big loss in the middle of their, their defense. Uh, Jelani Tavai, their second-round rookie. They have a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things at a lot of different alignments. Excuse me, and uh, that's that's something that you're going to see a lot of. They're they're going to have sets where they run a five one five. They're going to have sets where they run a a a two five four. They're very multi multiple is the key word, and they're gonna they're gonna try to take away your best thing, and then they're gonna try to take your top adjustment to it too. And uh, they have they have Darius Slay with Quandre Diggs, one of the most underrated players in the league. They have talent all over that defense. It's going to be difficult for for teams to face. It's a good challenge for Freddie Kitchens to try to come up with something if he wants to, to, to see, you know, okay, th- this is a complex defense. How am I going to adjust to this? I know Baker's not playing, and I know that, you know, Odell and, and Jarvis aren't playing, but it'd it, it still be interesting to see how he schemes against a defense that can do so many different things. You know, w- will Freddie be aggressive? Will he, you know, just sit back and, you know, just sort of, okay, this is the fourth preseason game, let's let it go? That's one of the things that I'm actually watching for is, you know, how, how Freddie handles the last preseason game. We're also curious about how Matt Patricia handles it. There are some position battles on the team that need resolution, and he hasn't really given the guys a, a great deal of opportunities to do it, quite honestly. Um, and we wonder if that's going to happen there or not. So there's, there's some coaching questions going into this game, too. Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating to see if Freddie follows. If you remember last year, this was the game that Freddie took over for uh... – Todd Haley gave him that that fourth game, and we got a small right. taste, yeah, a small little preview of what Freddie would do as an offensive coordinator later in the year. So, that's my next question: is Is there anything that I know that this this feels like as both teams prep for Week One, and what's obviously most important right now is, um, you know, are there any bat where Where does Detroit look to? Is there anything they can solve? What position battles are are something that they may be able to to find some sort of answer on here here Thursday? Yeah, so they they have a starting guard position up as well. Um, I, I think we we know that Eric Cush is going to start at right guard for the Browns now. Mm-hmm. They still don't know who's starting at left guard. They have moved Frank Ragnow, um, last year's first round pick, and he's really really good by the way, uh, in the center. Now he's hurt. Um, he's not. He's certainly not going to play this week. He went down with a, a scary ankle last week. He's supposedly going to be ready for week one. We all, we all hope so. Anyways, they moved Graham Glasgow last year's center to right guard, and he's a good one. Uh, but left guard is maybe Joe Dahl, maybe Ode Ibushi, maybe somebody who's not <laughs> currently in the NFL. We don't really know. Nobody has stepped up. They wanted Kenny Wiggins to get it. He's been awful at guard. He's actually been pretty serviceable at, at, as a swing tackle anyways. So they are still fighting to see who's starting there. There is a little bit of a battle going on, um, and it's, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but the number two tight end spot, they, they brought in both Jesse James and Logan Thomas. They paid James a lot of money to be, you know, their 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 productive tight end from Pittsburgh. Logan Thomas has been better than him all summer, and they could, if they really needed to, possibly save a little bit of money by by getting rid of James and riding with Thomas. That that seems a little bit weird, but uh, we we don't really know what's going on with that to be honest with you. So that that's one to watch. Wide wide receiver, I mean, Chris Lacey, Brandon Powell. 
Um, they just cut DeAndres Alexander for the third time this summer, so he's not in it anymore. Um, Jonathan Duhart, um, Travis Fulgham, their sixth-round pick. Um, they have two Old Dominion wide receivers on the team, which is interesting considering that they weren't very good at throwing the ball. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of quandaries to go on in Detroit, Jake. It's, it's very difficult to be loyal to the fandom. <laughs> they, they just do things differently than, than, than what you would expect a lot of the league to do. That, that's one to watch. Uh, defensively, Tease Tabor is the big name to watch. He has not played all preseason. He is very much fighting for his roster life. He was a second-round pick in 2017, the cornerback from Florida. He runs in the four sevens and plays slower than that, if you can figure that out. Wow. He he really needs a good game to stay on the roster. That that's probably the biggest focal point for me on the on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and uh, he, he he to his credit, he was looking good in camp. Uh, was was making plays. Was was positioning himself where he was mitigating his lack of speed fairly acceptably. Uh, and then he had a bad day and came up and pulled up lame with a either a hamstring or a quad. And uh, he actually f- practiced for the first time yesterday. Uh, and he's going to go, um, and he needs to go because uh, otherwise he's going to go. If you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you uh, where do you find your eyes here for Cleveland? What do you uh, what do you want to see coming out of this one? Not much we can find out, but maybe a little uh, Drew Forbes action. What are you looking at? Drew Forbes is a good one. I am am curious about Seth Devalve. Um, and, and he was the topic of conversation in, in Freddie's press conference today. And, and Seth also spoke today, and that leads me to believe that he's probably safe. But I'm, I'm curious, are they going to use him at all at tight end, or is he just the fullback now? Can he get through a single game without getting hurt and missing time again? If he does get hurt, does that impact his fate? Um, that's that's a storyline that I'm, I'm for whatever reason, I'm really invested in Seth Devell's future. I don't know why. I am, um, too. I, I mean, I just, you know, I, I I think he gets, you know, he missed some time last year and this year in, in camp. Obviously, it's unfortunate, but he played a full season before that. And, like, I wrote about it, Jeff, earlier this year, that, like, if they're going to keep him, his role would be what he's, you know, this could be just a sort of default thing with Joe Carriage's injury or his concussion, ironically enough. The fullback, right. obviously, that was signed, it's, but I thought that the best route to keeping Seth on the roster was sort of that uh, Kyle Juszczyk role, which is a fullback slot hybrid type guy who can play wing, who can pull from the wing, who can play, you know, the the role that if you're looking at 2018 was Orson Charles' role, but I thought Seth could bring a little more diversity to that. I think he's safe too, uh, but I understand the injury concern. But at this point, it's like unless you can find a big upgrade on the waiver market, it's like, you know, you got to roll with him, and yeah. you got to, you got to, got to figure it out. That's that's where my eyes. Do your eyes go to Braxton Miller at all here? I uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious as was he. So um, as you know, I used to cover the Texans as well, and I covered them while he was his entire entire career there, which did not go well. Uh, I am curious if he has learned to make his moves in his routes more expeditiously. This was a guy who would take three steps when one would do all the time. And it bothered the coaches in Houston because he did not, they would tell him this and he just wouldn't process that that was something that he needed to work on. He's like, I'm, I'm getting open. Well, yeah, but you're not getting open within the structure of the play. And by the time you're open, the, the timing is gone. That, that was a big issue for him there. And he never grasped that. And I, I know that from talking to the coaches down there, they were very frustrated with his inability to, to have the, the, the self-awareness of what he was doing wrong and what they wanted him to do. So I'm hoping that, that the maturity and, and being off for a year and maybe being in a couple of different systems now has helped him on that. Because when he was there, when he caught the ball, he 
you saw the same guy you saw at Ohio State, an electric, a guy with who's electric with the ball in his hands, a guy who had field vision, who could set up blocks, who could make quick cuts and make defenders look silly. There's a place for that in Cleveland, uh, but I'm not sure that he's going to have it. I, so I'm, I'm curious to see that. Um, a lot of Lions fans, I'll tell you this, are going to look at Greedy Williams really hard because they were convinced for a long time uh, because a lot of the early mock draft projections had him going at number eight overall to the Lions. Uh, there are a lot of Lions fans who are very upset that he's not there. Uh, so there is a lot of interest in that from a Detroit standpoint. But I'm also curious about the guys behind him, you know, guys like Robert Jackson, uh, Tavir Thomas, who's a local kid for me here in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, th- those are guys, you know, they're, they're, they're probably realistically fighting for the practice squad, but I want to see one of them make a play and do something that shows that they have NFL life and an NFL future. And I, I think both can. So I, I, I like to look at the depth guys and, and my, my big bugaboo, and I've taken a lot of heat from, from Browns fans uh, online on Twitter and on Browns Wire comments from it. I have not seen one legitimate thing that Sheldrick Redwine does that says NFL player to me. <laughs> I want to see one, just one, one, yeah. one play. Because I haven't seen it in, in, in the five days I was in Berea, and I haven't seen it in any of the three preseason games. For my money, he is the worst player on the 90-man roster, how many of guys they have left since they let go of Javante Dean. The, the, he has no business being on the roster other than his draft status. I want him to show that he belongs, or I want the Browns to do something about it and show that it is a meritocracy and it's not just, you know, oh, you, you're in on your draft value. Because uh, he, he's been a very frustrating very big point of frustration for me the fact because uh i didn't expect him to get drafted frankly a lot of draft analysts did not expect him to get drafted so when he went in the fourth round okay all right maybe the browns saw something there if if they're validated that they didn't see anything they need to cut the bait quick um and i know that sounds harsh uh, and it's nothing personal against him but but man he, he's not been good man he just hasn't yeah. yeah he's been brutal and especially seeing the likes of like tj mcdonald on the free agent wire now it's like you know, Sheldrick's not going to help. I, I mean, he shouldn't sniff the field. I mean, I guess, like, as a special teams guy, but, yeah, I'm with you, man. I have not seen a single thing um, that, that makes me feel I, – I, he had one interception right in front of me in training camp where he made a nice play on a corner route, but live games, things that matter, he has been a step, a full step behind and very poor reacting, reading, and I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm not – I'm not – I'm not Austin Corbett level frightened, but I am. I am certainly nervous because you just you just want to see some flashes, and I, you know the mistakes are going to happen. They're going to blow coverages like they did against Washington. But man, is he right. he's missing tackles? He's over pursuing, taking bad angles, and and it's just like, what's he do well? What what does he do well? And I haven't seen anything. It's early. It's you know, like you said, it's it's a few games into a, a rookie season. He better. He just better be a and damn good. He better be a damn good special teams player. That that that's what he's got to. You know. If he needs a redshirt year, that's fine. Guys do need that. That there there are guys who come into the NFL who wind up being good players who aren't ready to go right away. If if that's him, that's fine. But if if they burn a, a player that that I think deserves to be on the fifty three to keep him. That's going to be very frustrating for me. And to be honest, JT Hassel's been the more impressive player. Um, I don't. I don't think JT, that's even. JT, he's, he's very hit and miss, but his hits. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, and it's like they're plays. at least hits, right? I mean, there are hits, not not all. Yeah. Not all misses. So it's like you know, I'm, I'm with you. That that's going to be interesting. I do think you're right that the red wine should be, um, you know, the 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 
how he plays should be a focal point. But that's all the time we got, man. We we took we wanted to take ten minutes. We took twenty minutes. This is what we do preseason. No, it's the last game. Yeah, <laughs> it's the last game that doesn't mean anything. It's like man, this anticipation is coming, and it's right here. We're almost to game week, oh, and man, it's gonna. I'm be ready. Hard. I'm ready. We're ready, man. Well, that's Jeff Risden, guys. Jeff, appreciate you joining me, buddy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jake. All right, follow Jeff if you're not doing so. Uh, tons of great Browns content. Leads a great group at the Browns Wire, and um, always, always love having him on. If if you, if you guys can, if you have not already, um, iTunes reviews and ratings and subscriptions, all that stuff really helps everything we do at Blue Wire. It helps me, uh, helps helps the company here, helps everybody involved, and uh, I hope you guys are enjoying all the things Blue Wire is offering. Tons of NFL coverage. Tons of uh, different teams that the Browns play. So, you know, paying attention to some of those other teams that can give you good inside information. I'll try to keep bringing on people like Jeff who have good insight too. Until then, go Browns. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.